Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about pulling out of Afghanistan with my friend Vienna. Sure, yeah. We quote-unquote <laughs> just did that. <laughs> current, current news. <laughs> How are you, Vienna? Canada pulled out in like 2014. It's been a while. <laughs> Uh, well, the seasons are changing, the sun is existing less and less, uh, but I spent all day reading in What Sunlight Remains, so I'm doing all right today. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, I've been, uh, I just got back from vacation this week and I've been slowly getting back into the swing of things, but, uh, it's happening, you know, so I guess that's good. I will say, for those listening, you might go, because we're going to get into the Imperial Roundup segment and be like, this is from back in August, and it's now, <laughs> now almost October. So uh, a lot of things happened in September. There was this wonderful thing called an election, which, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I thought, I mean, I had some catching up to do with some of the recordings, so I got all that out of the way. But like, I, we then took a pause from recording for like a month, uh, and I, I spent it mostly trying to help uh, Dirka Prout win, which uh, she did not win, but we gave it a go. And uh, I think she was the only one who gained votes uh, from the previous election. The only the NDP were the only party that gained votes from the last election. Well, the PPC did too, but like barely any. So they barely any got any before, they barely uh, grew. So good, stay that way. But... <laughs> Uh, but the point is, we're, we're kind of far behind, and so the goal is we're going to try to do some, like, two episodes a week uh, to catch up. So uh, that that should go for a bit. And, uh, yes, so that being said, we're going to talk about uh, some election stuff upcoming, I'm guessing, uh, mostly to do with the debate, because, to be honest, that's pretty much all uh, Rebel News talked about during the election, was whether or not they were going to ask questions during the debate. So... We are going to touch on that in a little segment today, but then there might be a bit more of that in some future episodes. However, the other interesting thing is we're going to talk about Afghanistan today, because obviously that was huge in the news a month ago. <laughs> uh, and so th that's going to be what we're talking about today. But it's kind of interesting talking about it now, a month after it was like the big news story. And then we get to see... It's kind of interesting to see whether or not their predictions or the things they were saying have like uh, ended up where they thought it was going. And also we get to reflect on whether or not people are still taking uh, this seriously, like the, the idea of taking in more refugees and stuff like this. So that might add some interesting elements to it. But other than that, I'm sorry, we're, we're delayed. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, that, on that note, we'll get right into it. Uh, this is the Imperial... Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the rebel from August 16th to August 20th. The new election debate rules, again, the, the debate has already happened, but the new election debate rules said that media organizations are disallowed from the debates if they crowdfund for political issues like civil liberties, especially for strangers. And Ezra points out that they're the only media company to do this with their Fight the Fines initiative. 
this is in fact true. And, and uh, we've reflected on our YouTube and other videos. You could go check that out. That uh, it's likely the government was specifically targeting them. So uh, I don't think that was a good move on their part. But uh, the government mentioned there is a conflict of interest when an organization becomes an actor in the story they tell. And they mention overuse of petitions, which is another thing that Rebel News frequently does. So you can kind of see that this was trying to target specifically uh, Rebel News. Ezra complains that media members are unionized and that somehow that's uh, also a conflict that should exclude them from covering the debates. However, I would say union membership is different from promoting a civil liberties campaign, even though I don't think that the government should have carved the rules up that way anyways. And as we know, because we're in the future, uh, the government failed and they were still allowed into the debates. David Menzies harasses a random low-level global news journalist, asking her if she can be honest about reporting if she takes bailout money. This is silly, considering this reporter has no control over whether global news takes funding from the government, but David Menzies, who is denied entry into a political event, needs a story and so harassed a reporter who is sitting by themselves for content. David then plays clips of other Rebel employees who have been denied entry into campaign events. It is pretty amusing that hating Rebel News is bipartisan. Multipartisan? Many part. Many, many parties. As <laughs> in. I know, we're so like lumped into like the American lens that it's like always just like bipartisan, but it's clearly more than two. And it's not a binary thing in Canada. Although the burning of churches has decreased, Rebel News is still trying to capitalize on the Christian persecution narrative. Rebel employee Adam Sues is now crowdfunding to fix the roof of a church that is on a reserve. The roof of this church was not caused by arson, but is a result of a lack of funding in the community. While seemingly a kind gesture, Adam never discusses why this church lacks resources in the first place. Adam even mentions that reserves experience more tragedy, but he concludes that therefore they need church. Not clean water, resources, or autonomy but church. David Menzies takes it a step further and says that Adam Sue should also crowdfund to get the church cameras to catch the arsonists. I guess a sad sign of the times, Adam, maybe some of the money that's being raised should go into surveillance cameras because uh, these desecrations of churches, it, it's still happening. And, um, you know, there still hasn't been any significant arrests as far as I'm uh, aware of once again proving that conservatives only care about the destruction of property and not the systematic ways the government of Canada continues to harm indigenous communities. Ezra complains about a pregnant progressive conservative MPP, Christina Midas, being kicked out of caucus for her refusal to vaccinate. Ezra asks, why would a pregnant woman take an experimental vaccine? Imagine the gall of... Ontario Premier Doug Ford and his staff calling up a pregnant MPP, a pregnant woman, and demanding that she take an experimental vaccine right in the middle of her pregnancy, or she will be fired and kicked out of the caucus. Imagine doing that and then not taking her personal choices of sufficient reason that she won't, and demanding that that pregnant woman get a doctor's note so the doctor can certify that she doesn't have to take this experimental med while she has a baby inside her. 
The Ministry of Health pointed out that getting the vaccine when pregnant is safe, and they recommend that you should get the vaccine even if you are pregnant, but caution against forcing those who are pregnant to take a vaccine, citing the importance of bodily autonomy for pregnant people. This is sadly ironic, considering that Midas has participated in anti-abortion rallies since she has been an MPP. Ezra suggests that Christina should fat shame Doug Ford for his health choices if he is going to force her to get vaccinated. That's what the clumsy oaf Doug Ford did. Threatened a young pregnant woman, forcing her to take the vax or she'd be fired. Because of course, just by looking at Doug Ford, you can see he deeply cares about personal health. I think Christina might have should call Doug Ford and say, you lose a hundred pounds, fatso, or I'm gonna kick you out because you're not healthy. Why can't she demand he get healthy? She looks healthier to, uh, to me than he does. What a bully Doug Ford is. As if Doug Ford's choice of food and exercising is contagious, like COVID. Cherry cheesecake is contagious, I will say. <laughs> it is worth noting that as of this recording, she remains a member of the PC party after receiving a note from her physician exempting her from taking the vaccine while pregnant. And that is the week. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. They touch on Afghanistan and the, I mean, there's like two sort of main segments that he goes through. One has Joel Pollock and the other involves a a character that we've talked about on the show before. Although he's, it's been a while since he's been on, but the other person is Lee Humphrey. And Lee Humphrey is a veteran. I think the last time he was on was the November episode of last year because Ezra always likes to have uh, this the one veteran who he's friends with come on to talk about uh, the Remembrance Day episode is usually how it goes. Uh. <laughs> it's also interesting. Like This guy strikes me as someone who is... I, I, I want to say more reasonable or or at least in terms of like where Rebel News is, he comes across more as like a neoconservative than uh, the kind of Trumpist far right alt right kind of character. However, I checked out his Twitter today just to like refresh myself about him. And uh, no, he's pretty far out there. <laughs> uh, he, he's definitely against the vaccines and all, all of those uh, kind of things. But it's also worth mentioning that uh, I found out that he's worked in the past as a contractor uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan and has basically profited off of the wars there. So it's worth just highlighting that as well, that he's going to come on and talk about these things, but he's also someone who profited off those wars for what it's worth. Our brave war profiteers. So Ezra begins by talking, referring to what is happening in Afghanistan as the handing over that country to the Taliban terrorists and that it's Biden's fault that this is happening. Now, this has probably been covered ad nauseum at this point, but a lot of the sort of like uh, failures precede Biden on many levels in terms of Biden being president, because obviously Biden, I think, is still at fault, having been a part of the government the past 20, 30 years uh, and, and, <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> it just never ends. 
but I mean, like, what I'm getting at is, like, it's it's funny for for them to sort of, like, lump all the blame on Biden for what's happening right now, when a lot of it is, like, mismanagement that predates Biden. And even the, uh, the handing over to the Taliban, or at least the sort of, like, negotiations with the Taliban, began under Trump, who set a May deadline before Biden was even president, for what it's worth. Ezra then claims that the U.S. military was uh, more focused on teaching recruits CRT, critical race theory, than doing the war stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, that uh, embassy out there, it actually tweeted the Pride Day flag tweet thing. And that's really nice of them. But I, I don't think that spirit of LGBTQ2 plus is going to survive much longer under the Taliban. Um, the top general in the United States, Mark Milley is his name, he's been so busy lately declaring war <laughs> against his own troops. He's made public statements demanding that critical race theory be taught and pro-trans ideas be taught and domestic white rage is the three real threat to America. He said all of that. He's been so busy with that. I think you forgot about the whole war and guns and terrorist part of his job. Oh, well. I don't know why this has become the narrative that somehow what the military was doing over there was teaching critical race theory. Like I've, I've heard many people <laughs> saying this now, like you've had Tucker Carlson say it. You, and, and most of them like appeal to, I guess like there was a military guy named Millie who while in uh, being questioned by Congress said that like he reads Mao Zedong because he wants to know what the enemy reads or whatever. And somehow that means he's like, oh, oh, the other thing was he cares about white rage. And so now they're like, the military is teaching everyone CRT. And what we were doing in Afghanistan was teaching them CRT or, or something. <laughs> Who? Where is America fighting Maoist rebels? I gotta know. <laughs> Listen, I, like I don't I, know why I he chose I guess they probably have like partnerships with the Philippine... Uh... Honestly, the it's in their fight against the Maoists and India, but like direct, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably the China connection. Like, like I, I realize your reaction to that is going to be like, of course, the Chinese government is not currently Maoist, but I honestly think that that's the, the connection being made. That's so annoying and just like yeah. not fun, you know? <laughs> no, I know. But I mean, there's an element, though, where it's like, I guess what he's saying is a lot more tolerable than, I guess, the anti-CRT people that are like, reading things bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also just like, I wish, I wish the US were losing, losing to some cool people for once. They yeah. keep losing to like really shitty people. And it's, I don't know, can't celebrate that one, you know? No, I mean it's all it's all shitty, but like, yeah, because like I, you know, I wish we were back in the days hating the neoconservatives, because like, well, I mean that also sucked. Never mind. I don't like. <laughs> yeah. How do how do you make those comparisons? The alt right versus the neoconservatives. So they both uh, sucked in their own various ways, and uh, if if anything, the neoconservatives currently have had a, a higher body toll, but like. That's because I don't think the alt-right have had the power that they seek uh, as much as the neocons did. So, uh, 
Yeah, everything's fucked up. Yeah. I do wish the troops were back in a Vietnam situation fragging their officers, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but they, they're they deep in critical race theory that they, they haven't even thought of doing that, you know? They're all uh, sitting no, if they, around. If they do more <laughs> critical race theory, they'll come to that conclusion eventually. <laughs> it is ironic, though, that Ezra is talking about this critical race theory stuff because, like, the other angle that he's trying to approach uh, with the pulling out of Afghanistan is that now LGBT rights are going to be destroyed in Afghanistan since the, the U.S. government is pulling out. I acknowledge that Afghanistan is largely a failed experiment in nation building in a country that is not modern and is in fact culturally anti-modern. But that's where Canada was the noisiest, or at least Trudeau was, all that talk about soft power and girl power and LGBTQ+, all, all Trudeau specialties. But that's what's going the quickest in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. That's was gone the very first day, wasn't it? It's like, so what? so what is it? Is it that we should be like thankful for being there for promoting lgbt rights and now i'm going to sidestep the issue about whether they in fact were promoting those rights or not which uh spoiler alert they really weren't uh <laughs> but like even let's say like yes they're they're there they're promoting these rights how does that like you are also getting mad at them for promoting those rights you know so it's like it's like weird it's like this weird conflict of like, how dare we be over there teaching them woke stuff when if we pull out, they're going to be anti-woke. Well, the thing is, we're allowed to teach the heathens and the barbarians about LGBT stuff. We're not allowed to teach the troops about that because then they won't be heathens and barbarians anymore. It's also worth noting as I kind of skirted over it, but like some, some things in certain pockets of the country did improve in terms of various uh, things like women's rights. But that being said, uh, there's n I mean, the Taliban is bad, but hopefully it won't uh, go as far as it has gone before in a negative direction. And uh, it, it's one thing to have those rights, but if those rights are there under a fragile pretense that is also destroying the country, it's uh, th that's not good either, you know? Uh, so it's it's just weird how how people like latch onto that like somehow you need to keep bombing civilians and keeping this war going on forever in order that we have our own notion of uh, women's rights being sustained there when it's coming from the people who never care about women's rights in any other capacity right yeah I don't know it all sucks that's it like none of yep. it's good. <laughs> there is no, there is no silver lining, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Ezra then says that Trump is incapable of looking weak. <laughs> the thing about Donald Trump was that you knew, the one thing he was personally incapable of doing was appearing weak. He was mocked for that. You know how he always talked about being the best, the biggest, huge, having the most. Those people at his inauguration, for example. Now, a lot of people debated that. Did he really or not? I, I don't care if it was true or if it wasn't. What that whole ridiculous debate taught me, at least, is that being strong, or at least appearing to being strong, and getting respect for strength was so important for Trump. Did we ever get pictures of when Trump had COVID? 
do you remember that? Remember that week? That was a good week. <laughs> I I also loved when he he had to like stage the like him looking strong, and it was clear that he was like wheezing, like walking up the stairs alone, and like to before he saluted or whatever at the White House. God, that was that was a fun. I feel like the universe coalesced for like one happy moment when he got COVID. Biden just doesn't have the flair for drama, you know? (laughs) Or doesn't even elicit the same kind of schadenfreude that we get from Trump being in pain. Yeah, like there it just a Biden presidency is a blank canvas. Like there isn't anything. I don't know, like there's nothing funny, you know? The world just keeps on going and keeps on getting shittier instead of being like, haha, but at least Trump got COVID. Yeah. And he had a fun week on Twitter. <laughs> ah, true. I mean, we we might get, or well, America might get infrastructure if they're lucky that that's happening right now. And uh, it's looking a lot rockier than it did maybe a, a month ago, but we'll see how that turns out. But hey, that'll be nice, I guess, for them. Come on. They're never getting infrastructure. Yeah. Don't fucking lie to them. <laughs> They're lucky oh if their highways are going to get repaved. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, we're living in hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the Doomer episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so Trump, incapable of looking weak. Uh, he then says that even though Trump supported the withdrawal and worked with the Taliban, he apparently also bombed the hell out of them if they got out of line and therefore was still strong even though he worked with the Taliban. When Trump was negotiating an exit from Afghanistan too, by the way, but anytime the Taliban did something violent, he'd call off the negotiations and bomb them back to the Stone Age so they learned who they were dealing with. That's that strength and appearing strong thing. Sure. Fucking whatever. <laughs> Part of that is like I don't I don't remember the the bombing like I do remember when he first was elected he dropped the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan I do remember that yep. happening and we still don't know the details of what that was targeting who that hit anything because it just destroyed everything around it Yep Yep But like I don't I don't recall after the negotiations with the Taliban when they had like the meetings with Mike Pompeo and all that, uh, I don't remember there was like further bombings from that. But he also like freed one of the people from prison to then get out and, and rejoin the Taliban, which is something that he didn't have to do. Like it's just like weird that they still have to pretend like he's this big strong daddy figure when it's like a lot of the decision making he did in Afghanistan didn't make a lot of sense. You know, it felt very, like all of his foreign policy, sporadic and chaotic. See, Trump and Biden are like two people whose backyards uh, are right next to the park. And when you throw the ball over the fence, Biden just like, you know, looks you dead in the face, pops the ball and throws it over again. Uh, whereas Trump makes you do a bunch of work and a bunch of bullshit in order to earn back the ball, which he <laughs> then doesn't return to you. I don't and know where we'll I was going with the metaphor. <laughs> I just thought of the metaphor and was like, yeah, this is a good one. I like this. 
I mean, your metaphor not making sense is a metaphor for what Trump's foreign policy was. See? There, full circle. Yeah, see? So it's even cleverer. <laughs> it's even more clever than, like, I intended it to be. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Esther, that expresses what his main concern out of all this is, which is that... You know, Trump, what we need is strength and, you know, Trump is so strong and he projected the strong image where the issue with what's happening in Afghanistan is that because America is leaving, there's going to be photos that come out. Uh, for example, there was the, the plane taking off with people grabbing onto the plane and some of them falling and dying. And these images make America look weak. And so therefore pulling out I guess was not the right thing to do, even though he doesn't really say whether it is or wasn't the right thing to do. Ezra kind of like sidesteps that question for the most part, but it seems like he's saying it was good that Trump negotiated, showed strength, and we were going to pull out, but it's also bad pulling out because it makes us look weak, even though that was Trump's initial plan in the first place. Whatever, so. dude. <laughs> And, like, in the end, you could tell. Like, he doesn't actually care about the lives that are there uh, because it's all about image and whether it reflects strength or weakness. It has nothing to do with whether or not people are being harmed or helped, you know. Oh, yeah, no, none of that shit matters. But it, I mean, really, like, Ezra is just kind of, like, he's right about that. Like he's right in not caring about it because that was never the issue. It was always about projecting American power globally and not anybody's lives. And that's kind of depressing reality. Yay. No, Woo-hoo. I mean, he, he's definitely... Theme of the episode. <laughs> he's definitely in that line of thought. I mean, he was... Again, he's one of the preeminent Islamophobes around the world, right? So, like, mm-hmm. there's an element in which, of course... Like, it's interesting because Trump sort of presented this whole, uh, I'm really an anti-war president, even though I'm not. Yet, like, there was still some people that were confused by that for some reason. But, and I think we've even covered Ezra referring to Trump as being anti-war. But it's clear that, like, Ezra himself is not anti-war, especially against Muslims, and probably not against China, but, like definitely against Muslims he supports those wars and so it's like yeah he's a part of that imperialist project so of course he doesn't care about their lives but it's also like he's in some respects a much more honest you know cheerleader of or not a more like actually honest voice of the imperial project whereas for the most part you get like libs being like oh we were there to, we did such a good job and now it's all ruined and sad and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that was always predicated on the massacre of villages, like every day. Yeah. I mean, Ezra's not like as explicit, like he's not going, we should have bombed them until they're all dead. But like, there's a sense in which you feel that that's what he wants. And I guess it's the, in that sort of like, I guess without doing the pretense of the liberal dance of like, but we were helping and we were doing this. And he's just like, no, it's about showing strength. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's a little bit more honest in that sense. Or I guess honest in his emotions where like, obviously he's obfuscating and not telling the full truth here. And B 
being contradictory yeah, and confusing. Yeah. Honest is definitely too generous. <laughs> but... <laughs> but yes, honest about his feelings, I guess, is the way I could put it. Then we get the whole, like, uh, see, Trudeau doesn't care about what's happening and called the election when all this was going on because Trudeau uh, actually loves the terrorists. And uh, after all, he gave $10 million to Omar Khadr, which we're never going to hear the end of that. But <laughs> yeah. So then we get Joel Pollock on. And uh, it's, again, all about the weakness. Like, uh, you know, we're showing weakness by pulling out. And by pulling out, we're also helping China. I mean, that one's not wrong. Uh, I mean, it's it's complicated, but like, sure. But then there's also the case of like, it hurting or helping China. How does that matter in the long run? And should it matter in the long run? I don't yeah. know, know enough about all the geopolitical players to make that sort of geopolitical calculus. However, Joel's solution to this whole thing is that now every single member of the Democratic Party needs to resign and they need to impeach the president. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Should do that. Also the Republicans. Again, it, like Joe Biden is really just going through the motion of a thing that Donald Trump put in place before he was voted out of office so it's like imagine if trump did win the election and he was the one as president when the americans left afghanistan like do we does somehow are we supposed to imagine that somehow trump would have done it better i mean it still wasn't great with biden i'm not gonna know. just like none of it yeah <laughs> Yeah. I think they're just saying shit because they want to say shit and like they sh that's it. Like that's as far as it goes. It's just it's it's like well, I you know, it's a weird thing because part of me still wants to say I'm I'm still glad that Biden stuck to it and stuck to his guns even though I think there's like ways that we can argue he fucked out uh, like fucked up in the pulling out. But I'm still glad he pulled out. But it's like at that level they're like, he needs to resign. <laughs> but it's like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how. I mean, there's subtle things where they obviously could have done better in terms of uh, coordinating the leave in a way that harmed less people. It seemed to be more haphazard. It seemed like the generals were under this illusion that somehow the Taliban were going to take years to take over Kabul. Uh, but Obviously, it happened a lot quicker, so... This is a little bit of a backtrack, but I said the Democrats and the Republicans could should all resign. Bernie, I'm sorry, I know you're an independent. I just remembered that you're an independent. You also gotta go. No <laughs> more U.S. government, regardless of party affiliation. Well, yeah, if Joel Pollack was arguing for the dissolution of the American government, that would be a lot cooler. Oh, no, he's not, but I was. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, what what you're calling for is for every every single member to the resign except for Bernie, and then Bernie is the only government. Only so that he's the one who gets to end it. <laughs> King America, you're over. Bernie. <laughs> he doesn't even end it. It's literally just like Bernie. Like there's no bureaucrats, there's no nothing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Bernie's got to run around and tell people what's going on. He like has to set up a selfie camera to film 
to film himself giving decrees that nobody can back up. I will accept that level of government. I was going to say he survives as like a relic as the last living American because everyone is no longer American because the country dissolves except for Bernie being the sole member of the country and then lives in a shack in Vermont and people go to him to like learn about the history of America. (laughs) Oh shit, Angus King is a independent now. Angus King is an independent as well. He's also got to go. I don't, if I'm missing anybody else, they also got to go. I just want to be clear on this. Nobody gets a say to it through a technicality of me not mentioning them. (laughs) (laughs) So now we get to this Lee Humphrey guy who, again, is a veteran. I'm pretty sure he served from the 80s to the 2000s and then has worked in several contract uh, security firms for the last uh, 20 years. Ever since uh, September 11th. So... He's been in and out of Afghanistan and in and out of uh, Iraq, basically profiting off of the wars there. And when Ezra is talking to him, it's kind of clear that Lee is against pulling out, which, you know, obviously, if you're someone profiting off the wars, you might be against uh, leaving. And at one point, Lee is annoyed that there are uh, fires in BC. He doesn't mention climate change. Uh... And then he, he's annoyed with the, the crisis in Afghanistan. But he's upset they are instead talking about daycare during the election and ignoring the forest fires in Afghanistan. Uh, sometimes, rarely, as, as if you ever talk to my wife, do words fail me, but I, I, I just have nothing to describe what he's done and, and how indifferent he's acting even during the election to the ongoing, ongoing crisis in Afghanistan, as well as the fires in BC. And I mean, there's so much in this country that needs the attention of our prime minister and his cabinet uh, and our security officials. And and he's out talking about daycare. Hmm. They did kind of ignore both of those issues. Like climate change was not really talked about seriously. It was just like, oh yeah, liberals believe it exists. NDP believe it exists and say that they might do something but not cancel trans mountain about it conservatives say oh yes it exists but we're gonna revert back to harper targets huh maybe i don't know like i don't think the fires did get mentioned like that's honestly yeah god i fucking hated that election and and again i mean the afghanistan thing was mostly talked about near the beginning which of course this happened near the beginning and it was mostly in terms of like uh, Trudeau, how dare you call this election when this issue was happening? And I agree that's it, like maybe we didn't need to have this election in the first place, you know, uh, considering that certain things were happening, such as uh, the pullout of Afghanistan. And then considering the results. Yeah, yeah. Which, which basically, we have basically the same government as we went in with. But, 2019, but that... <laughs> part two. <laughs> but that being said... Like, why do we have to contrast that with, like, daycare? Like, it's still good that we're talking about daycare. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that, and it's like, if you're going to talk about the BC fires, you should probably mention it in terms of, like, climate change. Like, I have a feeling Lee wants to talk about it so we can talk about, like, we need more people clearing uh, brush from the forests that work as kindling for the fires. And 
And like, there might be some truth to those things. I know forest management is something that uh, we need to improve on, but uh, climate change is the other important aspect of this, you know? We need to, one, let small fires happen. Two, bomb the forests. (laughs) We need to fight back against these forest fires. And oh. Lee Humphrey will sell you the weapons to do it. This so <laughs> Lee Lee is also an old man and is like rambling through most of this interview. And at this point, <laughs> he he gets mad at Trudeau because in 2019 he called the election on September 11th, and he says this he as really if did. <laughs> and he says this as if like how dare. How dare he call the election on September 11th? Like, as if, like, like, I don't know, from now on until the end of time, like, governments can't call elections on September 11th, 2019, because on nothing that day... Nothing can happen on... Yeah. <laughs> nothing can happen or else we're forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> now, you told me just before we went live that um, in the 2019 election, and I don't know if I knew this, but you reminded me, um, you said that there was another uh, I- incredibly, I don't know if malicious is the right word, but uh, inappropriate day. Tell, tell, me, tell me when Trudeau called the election last time, because I don't think I knew this. 9-11-2019. So instead of going to commemorative events, uh, which Andrew Scheer did, uh, Trudeau walked to the general governor general's office with his wife and beautiful family and, and asked, uh, you know, for the election to be called. Once again, he could have waited a day. He could have waited towards the end of the day after the ceremonies. But he did it at 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I think, in the morning, which is when the commemorative ceremonies were being held for the Twin Towers falling. Like, like September 11th really rotted a lot of these people's brains. Just completely rotted them. Then, then we end with one of the weirdest friggin' conspiracies ever, which is that apparently Justin Trudeau had a meeting or talked over the phone with Hillary Clinton about what was going on in Afghanistan. And Humphreys uh, speculates that it's because Trudeau needed PR help because Clinton had experience with like dealing with a crisis like this because of what happened in Benghazi. Yeah, the, uh, I, you know, the first thing that went through my mind when he, when he mentioned that he called secretary, former secretary Clinton. Um, and I could tell you a story about her visit to the embassy that that's a totally separate thing, but something else. Um, and the only thing I could think of, and the first thing that ran through my mind was he was calling to say, you so badly Benghazi and got a bunch of people killed and, and managed to survive politically. What do I do? Huh. Yeah, you're right. You know, the Benghazi uh, attack and, and the warnings in advance and the, the pleas for help, there's a real analogy that, that she ignored the intel, she didn't really care about them, uh, and, and there were brave people on the ground till the very end. And you're right, she did survive that. I, you know what? That's probably why. The only th- real thing that I know about Benghazi is that, like, it was a nightmare, and I think the response was also a nightmare. Well, like, the Benghazi thing was, like, there was probably some incompetence there, but it was just, like, 
the Republicans took it as this like deep conspiracy, like that Clinton herself like refused to pull people out of this like embassy in Libya, and therefore, uh, I think it was like a handful. It was only like three or four people died, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But they like they blow it up as if it was this huge catastrophe. But that being said. I mean, Trudeau, if I'm guessing, if I had to guess myself, was probably talking to Clinton about, like, refugees, because, like, we didn't have troops in Afghanistan at this point. Like, how is this a PR? Like, why would Trudeau need PR help? Because he wasn't directly in charge of pulling out of troops in Afghanistan, because the troops, of the Canadian troops at least, were already out. Right? I mean, they were still there with, like, embassy stuff, so I don't know. Like, I, I don't get this at all. Yeah. That that ends our coverage uh, this time. We will have more uh, Afghanistan stuff to talk about next episode, since I already know uh, what next episode's going to be about. And we could reflect a little bit more on, like, whether things uh, have come true. I guess when this episode, or when this week happened, everything was still kind of fresh. And so you can see, like, they're slowly crafting their narratives. We get a bit of the CRT stuff. We get a bit of the, like, should we have pulled out? Should we not have pulled out? But then also, like, it was all about, like, showing of strength and whatnot. But I have to say, a month out, and it is largely, like, fallen off the news. To a large degree. And in a part that like saddens me uh, because I I hope that we pay a little bit more attention to these things. And I hope that uh, things are still in process uh, getting refugees here. I don't know to what extent it's stalled or not. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like the other end of it is like... Uh, I, I hope this might be a good sign in terms of, like, I guess, uh, the Taliban not being as brutal as they were the last time. Hopefully. You know, as much as, like, I probably still wouldn't love the Taliban, I would like them to be less brutal. See, I, I don't think that's... I don't think that's it at all. I think it's literally just, like... The world doesn't give two shits about atrocities anymore. And so it's just kind of a like, oh, well, that happened, I guess. Uh, we don't feel like reinvading, so there's no point in propagandizing about it. And, uh, like, I think that's more the extent of it. No, I tried to put on a little hopeful spin. It's not getting a ton of information myself. But. Yeah. No, this is the Doomer <laughs> episode, Jody. Come on. Keep it the program. Follow the script. <laughs> There's no hope. Now, we, we might get to the incident where uh, America did a drone strike before leaving in retaliation to the uh, the suicide bombing that occurred. And so for those who don't know, there was this suicide bomb that, that killed uh, a bunch of American troops that then also American troops then it shot killed on... Uh, it killed 12 American troops and then something like 150 to 200 Afghan civilians 
were either caught in the explosion or then gunned down by American troops. Yep. And so they killed 10 civilians in a drone strike. Yeah. In retaliation. Seven of which were kids. Yeah. And they've continued drone strikes on targets in Afghanistan as well. Like, well, yeah, I mean, the drones, yeah, the drone strops, uh, drone strikes are not going to end, which is another depressing fact about all of this, where, like, we make a big deal of the pulling out, but now we get to just fly drones in there to, to bomb people. But uh, what I was saying about that is there was the one interesting thing, and largely probably because uh, there was a spotlight on Afghanistan, is that the government could not hide from the fact that they drone bombed and killed 10 civilians, including seven childrens. And for the first time in the entirety of this conflict, this war on civilians in Afghanistan, the government uh, military in America uh, actually apologized for it, which is weird to me. And kind of like, like, it doesn't fill me with joy that this happened. It just fills me with like, you're like almost like extra anger of like the only reason you're doing this is because for the first time in 20 years since this war started there's finally a spotlight on what's happening there i mean it's that and also just like like it wasn't there was you know no restitution no anything like that it was a shrugging your shoulders like oops i guess we had a bad intel those 10 people died like, it's not, no one will be punished, no one will, like, you know, have to face war crime trials over it because the U.S. has a act in place to invade the fucking Netherlands if any of their troops or allies get called to testify for, or get attempted to be charged with war crimes. Um, yeah, like, it just... It's another, like, just, it means nothing in, at the end of the day. Like, it was just a, oh, we did that. Yep, we did it. That's it. Yeah, I think mainly I wanted to bring it up was in part to show that, like, how how much of an abnormality even such an apology like this was, even as, like, ineffectual and vapid it was. But then also just to highlight the fact that this, you got to say, it wasn't just this one incident, you know? If they're, if they're apologizing for this one and the fuck up here, it is clear that they've been having accidents like this, accidents in quotes, having accidents like this for the duration of these this past 20 years. And so, yes, it's, it's good that we pulled out and we should stop drone bombing them and we should take as many refugees as we can. Speaking of refugees, um, a the first, at least one group has arrived in a town locally. A group of Afghan refugees arrived in London um, a few weeks ago now, and they're being supported by the um, the like London uh, Cross Cultural Learning Center. 
and so I'm gonna we're gonna post the donation link uh, or means of support for them. Uh, they have a refugee health, refugee emergency housing, and um, just a bunch of other funds that you can donate directly to, and you can choose where your donation goes. Yeah, there's also just the blanket highest priority needs that I believe would go pretty much straight to them and any other uh, newly arrived um, refugees. So if you got some spare funds, send it to the CCLC in London. Um, yeah, it would be nice if, you know, there was some more support for the incoming refugees to wherever they are. So, you know, if you don't have spare funds, go volunteer your time with uh, whatever local refugee organizations there are. Yeah, and I'm also going to post an article. It's Beyond Social Democracy uh, by Marcel Liebman and Ralph Miliband. It's a good article, kind of just questioning the function of social democracy from 1985 and it's still just like very if anything it's kind of more relevant because of the collapse of even basic social democratic concepts and like how neoliberal even the nominally social democratic parties have become yeah it's it's a questioning of the purpose of kind of like having socialists within a parliamentary system or you know what it is that they can accomplish yeah give it a read i think we're probably going to read it on stream as well um so if that hasn't already happened check us out on twitch i guess yeah that's what i got this week and you know you're really a socialist when you read that article because it's in jacobin mag <laughs> That's an inside joke for the people who watch the stream. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And political debates. You canceled. From now on, we will have political heckling. All the candidates will line up and the audience will hurl insults at them. And the last to cry is then anointed the Prime Minister of Canada. I think the candidates should be allowed to insult back. No, they just have to take it. No. I think they're allowed to yell and insult the people because I think that would be very funny and would, you know, cycle into better insults to the candidates themselves. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.